we learned over time, and this is where incremental development really came from. We were doing it before, but we just didn't consciously know it. Mm-hmm. But the Belmont, we were losing, I mean, I was losing tons of money. I was liquidating assets and refinancing my house and refinanced my cars. And, you know, it was terrible pain. I mean, I was down on my knees praying because I thought I was going to go bankrupt. I thought it was just over. And I was looking for a silver bullet fix. I mean, mm-hmm. one big thing I could do, what is like, oh, should we just remodel it more? Can we do this? Can we do that? And what we figured out was that it was a thousand things we had to do a thousand things. And so we started with re I wanted to remodel some rooms, upgrade the rooms. And so we started with one room at a time with our maintenance staff and our front desk staff and our cell staff. And we designed it ourselves and we went and bought the furniture ourselves. And we, we put it together and we looked at that one room and we marveled at our work together of non you know, non-professional working. And we just marveled at our work and, that room stayed occupied like 90% of the time. And how did that happen when you have online booking and things? I said, well, we said, well, let's take the cash flow from this because we couldn't afford to remodel the whole thing and get financing. We couldn't right. do that. I didn't want to take on the debt because I already couldn't pay the debt I had hardly. Mm-hmm. But every time we, and so we remodeled another room and did the same. And then we did another and it did the same. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello and welcome to episode number 48 of the Placemaking Podcast. I am extremely excited to share this next conversation with all of you here today. Monty Anderson is the president of Options Real Estate, a multi-service real estate company specializing in creating sustainable neighborhoods in southern Dallas and northern Ellis counties in Texas. Monty began his real estate career in 1984 and since that time has concentrated solely on improving the living and working environments in these communities where he was born and raised. Monty is an outspoken and frequently recognized advocate for policies and practice to serve urban neighborhoods. He currently focuses his development practice in three areas in North Texas. The southern neighborhoods of the city of Dallas, the first ring suburb of Duncanville, and ex-urban town of Midlothian. Options Real Estate was founded in October of 1991 as a full-service commercial real estate company specializing in southern Dallas County with one mission in mind, to make their neighborhood and business owners better through the built environment. Their team believes in enhancing the quality of life southern dallas and northern ellis counties and advancing its image in order to provide an enduring inheritance to future generations they hope to build a community where residents can enjoy educational and employment opportunities that utilize the technologies of the 21st century find cultural and spiritual fulfillment and have a diversity of options for shopping dining entertainment living and homes now in this episode we're going to discuss the importance of finding and cultivating your own territory or farm how to raise capital for your next real estate development deal and what it truly means to be an incremental developer there is loads of great information in this episode and i greatly appreciate monty for taking the time out of his extremely busy schedule to discuss this topic of improving communities through the use of incremental development with me. And as always, if you have enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry. I promise you there will be more exciting conversations on these shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, Monty. I'm great, Matt. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on here. You you definitely have been uh, influential in this in this realm of incremental development. So I'm honored to honored to have you on here. I, 
I gave you a little intro uh, before we got on the call, but in your own words, can we talk about how you got started in real estate and we'll just kind of transition this into where you're at now at options and uh, all your work at Incremental Development Alliance. Okay, sure. Yeah, you know, um, so I've grown up in Southern Dallas County my whole life, you know, which is kind of the the have-nots side of Dallas. So, you know, sure. the, the tougher side. But I was actually a motocross racer in my early days. I was a professional motocrosser. And I traveled around the country. And when I got to be about 21 or 22, I broke my left femur you know, my left and put a rod in my leg and kind of like ruined my career, you know, in the middle. And I had two kids early and, you know, it's like money, you got to get a real job. You know, <laughs> my dad, you know, I had no, no college, you know, there was no, there was, um, so it's like, you know, I have no skills. One of my, dude, my dad was in the construction business and he, he was going around the country finishing out malls with sheep okay. you know, in malls. And uh, so it was really not a good quality of life type job. It's like very transient. And so I, I got involved in his business and I didn't like it. And I said, why don't you do work locally? Why are you not working around our neighborhood? Dallas is booming. And uh -huh. he said, well, I can't get any work here. I, I can't, I bid it. I can't get any work. And so I said, well, there's got to be a better way to, to do construction work than to just bid it all the time. So I started researching. I got involved with chambers of commerce and local groups. And so you get around business people who needed buildings, who needed construction. And so that's how I got into the, to the construction business. And I really didn't enjoy the construction itself. I really was not that handy myself with building. My dad was a, a craftsman, a carpenter, and I wasn't that handy. I didn't enjoy it, you know, that much. But I did like the started to learn about the real estate business, you know, um, and I thought, well, I like this. Yeah. I, I like selling these buildings. I like I have to lease these buildings. I could, you know, I could make this work. And mm -hmm. I, I think I could do it just in my neighborhood. And uh, so very early on in the in the um, in the in the mid 80s, in the mid 80s, when I was growing up in my 20s. So I, I made a decision. During that time, see something that happened to me, something kind of special that happened to me, that I was going to commit my life, my whole life, the rest of my life, to Southern Dallas County and mm -hmm. make, it, make it as good as I could for my kids and grandkids. Because it had been a place that when I grew up, it was really good. And then through, um, through integration and busing and white flight and black flight and brown flight and people moving out and stuff, what happened, you know, why did the neighborhoods get so bad? Why did my friends just leave? Why did they all leave and bail out? And what I've discovered was something very, very good was that if people don't love their place, they're going to leave, leave it hmm. as soon as things get a little bit tough. And so I've committed my life to making places that are lovable and that would be great. And so that's where I started in the, in the real estate business. Wow. Wow. And so how long were you doing construction before it kind of morphed into more of a more of a development role? Just about three or four years, you know, from the mid 80s to the late 80s. And then I got okay. into brokerage um, with a couple of older guys. I started off as a partner with a couple of older guys because I was kind of a deal maker anyway, kind of a good salesman. And so the first two years from 89 to 91, I was with two older guys in a little partnership where we just shared the expenses. And then in 1991, in October of 1991, I started Options Real Estate with, with a couple of partners who I bought out in the first year. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it was nothing. It was, I mean, it was basically a room like this, you know, with some real estate signs. I mean, so it was nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So Options started. Gotcha. So you started, you'd say maybe your first foray into real estate was in the construction side. You started early 80s and... And, uh, you know, decided that really there was a better way to make an impact in the community. And that was through development, essentially, well, right? Well, what happened, that's a little bit narrowing. Yeah, so <laughs> okay. I'm starting this real estate company and we're broke. We're just brokering deals. I'm out there leasing space, commercial deals, leasing a lot of warehouse space, trucking facilities, big 
bulky things, you know. I'm, uh, so I'm doing, I'm specializing in the territory, my farm, what I call my mm -hmm. farm, Southern Dallas County. And I'm leasing space and selling buildings and leasing space, just like a madman. I mean, just like, you know, 150 transactions a year. And I'm trying to get people to businesses, good businesses to come this way, come down here, I'm trying to get developers to come this way and come down here and develop. Here's some great land I've got right here. Look at this, right? This beautiful piece of land on this golf course. You can do office and uh, garden homes and condos. You can do anything and nobody would come. So I couldn't get anybody to come. So I thought, well, what the heck? Why don't we do this ourselves? And so I thought if you can, I, I one of the first developments I did was a 16 acre development. Okay, it started kind of big, but what I did was I said, okay, we can put a hundred units on this land, but I can't do a hundred units right now. I don't have how to finance it. I don't even know how to put together a deal like that. But I said, what we can do, we can build a little short street and build five units. And then when we sell three of them, we'll build three more. And then we'll keep extending the streets. So this was a little private development. It had garden offices and uh, garden homes and townhomes. And so we built, 108 units, building three to five at a time all yes. throughout. And it made a lot of money. Uh, we did real well. It was beautiful. Uh, it was on a golf course, a suburban, more of a suburban model. Okay. So because I work in urban and suburban areas, both down here, mm -hmm. you know, we're transitioning. And so it was, it was a great little development, huge financial success. Um, put us on the map, got us credibility with banks. You know, in the first deal, I, I, I got my general contractor buddy and my insurance man, and the, each of us put in a third, a third, and a third down payment. We borrowed the rest. We did it in pieces. We did it incrementally. Right. Back then, we were doing incremental work out of desperation. Out of need, yeah. <laughs> your need, because there was no way we could borrow all the money. Right. So we had to do it, you know, we had to do it a piece at a time. But it was really smart if you think about it, because mm -hmm. it didn't have that much stress related to it. It didn't put too much supply on a yeah. market that we didn't know if back then, this was in the 90s, the late uh, mid to late 90s down here in, in Texas at the time, they weren't doing a lot of high density urban you know, developments at that time. And mm -hmm. so it really kind of tested the market, showed us the market. Um, there was a huge baby boomer market that wanted to come back to DeSoto and live on the golf course and play, you know, play golf and things like that. But have and low, low maintenance and low maintenance, yeah. smaller space, things, you know, things like that. And, and we were, our smallest units back then were like four, 12 or 1400 square feet. And you would have thought we were building low income housing in the area and people fought us on the zoning, but, um, Later on, of course, they fought us. They never did say, I'm sorry, later on when they saw it turned out to be such a beautiful development, but that's okay. I still right. had I still had some resentments that go back that far. <laughs> one of these states, I got to get rid of those. <laughs> so did you, just curious on that first one, did you rezone the whole 16 acres with this at once at the beginning? And, and then, did. Yeah, okay. We, did, we did, re rezoned it for garden offices on the frontage and garden okay garden homes and or zero lot type homes and townhomes yeah, yeah. It all at once and even though we had a lot of opposition with neighbors you know the city council saw further to approve it and, and it was turned out to be good good so. good so that was kind of the genesis of options as far as your the the development cycle went for you guys That's right. yeah um, then after that we built small office buildings for sale we built them to lease. So we'd build a spec 2000 square foot office building and just have it for sale, just like a home builder would, mm -hmm. except it was an office. And so we built little things, big things. We bought things, we fixed them up. You know, just, it was anything in the territory of the farm, you know, of the farm, not, not so much residential, but from time to time we would buy houses and fix them up too, but you know, just different things. Okay. Wherever the so, opportunities were. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially when you started out, you created <laughs> your farm, you, you established your farm, I guess. And you decided I'm going to spend all my effort on this farm 
And from there, that kind of narrowed your focus to allow you to kind of look at specific areas within the farm that you could cultivate and, and, and try to uh, really, you know, you were just planting little seeds here and there, but uh, you know, 16 acres is a big seed, but <laughs> to start out well, done with. It a, done at a piece. Right, right. Done at a little piece, yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, so why did I create the farm? You know, I mean, why did, it, why did that happen? You know, so back at that point, all my friends were leaving and leaving away, and I was going to leave too. Mm -hmm. I was done, you know, dealing with poor people and homeless people and dogs on the street and trashy parking lots. I was just done. I was, I'd been here my whole life. I wanted to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in North Dallas. I wanted to be in a high rise in downtown. You know, right. I wanted to have a jet airplane, you know, king of the world. I wanted to be, I wanted to be this. And what happened is I began to, I was going to move one day to Capel, which is a city in North where Irving is, you know, where that's at since you were here. Mm -hmm. But, and I had basically got everything ready. And a friend of mine had bought a building out there and was hired said, here, you can have the building. It's a four-story building. You can lease it up, manage it, and take care of it. So I started going out there every day. And um, at the same time, at the same time in South Dallas, there was a, a deal called the Superconducting Super Collider. Mm -hmm. it, it had left. It had been canceled. And in DeSoto and South Dallas and Waxhatchee and Duncanville and all those areas, all these people moved out. All the offices became bail. We had like a mini recession. Huh like a mini. And while I'm heading out there to look at things every day, which is about a 40 minute drive for me, 45 minute drive, each day I'd get sick at my stomach as I would walk if I would drive up there. And in the opportunities down here, I was high in demand now. I mean, here I'm a real estate guy, deal maker, high in demand. You need me here. We'll sign listings, take this building, lease it up, do this, you know, had lots of listings, a bunch of opportunities. And um, uh, so one day, one night, um, I had this dream. And this, this is where it all starts as far as the commitment goes. Yeah. And in this dream, it went like this. In the dream, I'd moved to Coppell, had a good life, lived in, you know, basically all white neighborhoods with perfectly groomed yards and low signage and, mm -hmm. you know, just perfectly white bread, you know. <laughs> right. And, um, and then one day I died. And I went to heaven and God's sitting behind a desk like this. He's got his glasses. For some reason he's got glasses on. He's looking at me. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, and he says, and I'm, I'm waiting in line. Cause I'm, I like, I'm a workaholic. I get up early. I stay late. I'm loyal worker. And he says, and I'm looking for my job. You know, he's passing out jobs. And I, I he said, you know, I had this really good job for you but I don't know if I can trust you because when I needed you the most in South Dallas, you bailed out on me, you left. And wow. so whether that's a true dream or a, or a daydream or made up in my mind or wherever it came from, you know, it was real to me. And right. from that point, all my options, options, real estate, all my options were taken away. I had no choice from there on, but to concentrate on, on what I talked about the farm. I and I've stayed, I've stayed true to that all these years. And because I figure I'm being tested, you know, to go <laughs> someplace else. And I don't want to take a chance yeah. know, on eternity, not having a good job. for eternity. <laughs> So, so uh, if nothing else, it's, it, it really, it, what I learned in many successful people talk about this, is really defining your purpose, mm -hmm. finding that mission. And once I define that purpose and that mission, my income, my business, everything, it was like the laws of the universe opened up to, to help me grow and help me figure out how to finance. Because I wasn't taught and, you know, I was not good yeah. at things like that. And I wasn't taught. And it, it really, it just really opened the doors up. My learning became just very unusual and, I mean, I believe spiritually inspired, you know, so, and obviously I was meant to do what I do because yeah. we just keep doing it through five major financial crises in my career, five of them, counting COVID, you know, 
five and no knock on wood, no bankruptcies, no foreclosures, you know, and a hotel owner, you know, restored a theater, you know, restaurants, you know, mixed use, you know, repurposed old Kmart's into, into tortilla factories, you know, just all kinds of odd things. Yeah. Over the years. So that's awesome. No, thank you for sharing. I was going to ask you later what, where the name options came from, but that, that's perfect. Well, options real estate actually came from somebody else. Oh, okay. My original partners came from California. A guy named Darwin German, who's a big time real estate guy here now over and does apartments. But Darwin family had a company called Options Real Estate in California, and they came here to Texas. Okay. And so we started an options real estate here in Texas. And, okay. But the options took away my options fit with the name of our company. And then yeah. I bought out very soon after that. And we're still good friends, but we just do different things these days. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, what is your, what is your ideal project look like? You, you mentioned you're all over the place and I, I'm very aware of uh, most of your projects and, and they are, you know, you've, you've done it all. So <laughs> is there an ideal project type? Uh, the, the next one, the next. <laughs> okay. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a deal junkie. Okay. For sure. I mean, I admit that, you know, I mean, I like deals. Um, I've learned to be a better property manager and developer to go with that and, con and con contractor, you know, to go with that because the deals are going to only be as good as how these other deals last and how they look and how they're, you know, how they're crafted, how they're put together. So I became better at that, but I still love the deals. And today, um, you know, I mean, I'm working on a, a two-story school right now in deep South Dallas, hmm. uh, east of 35, deep of south of the Marcella Zoo or the Dallas Zoo. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's we're we're taking the classrooms downstairs and we're cutting storefronts into the classrooms and creating these micro retail units. And then upstairs on the second floor, you can there's these live work units where there's studios that you can actually live in. Oh wow. You can actually live and there's common area restrooms and showers in the hall, dorm like, you know, they're dorm like. And um, so it 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 is a product that to me it's one of my favorite pro projects, but people don't see it yet as that because it's it's in a place that nobody's been for a long time. Yeah. It's not it's not big and flashy, you know, it's a sixteen thousand square foot school, not very big, little L-shaped building. Mm -hmm. And uh, but what's good about it is it's all its people, its occupants will be people from the neighborhood. It, it gives people from the neighborhood a place to start their business as little as like five hundred dollars a month. Wow. And so they don't ha they haven't had that. And in fact, in most cities, especially in Dallas, it's the big shiny city, you know, billionaires. You know, there's just not a lot of places for entrepreneurs to start at two hundred fifty or five hundred dollars a month without having to get loans. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're cultivating, you know, our own occupants, our own buyers of real estate, our own tenants for years and years, for over 30 years now. You know, I've been cultivating my own, my own farm of people, you know, of people. And, you know, it doesn't matter how pretty the building is, how historic it is, how urban it is, how sustainable it is. If it doesn't have good occupants, then it's, it's ugly, you know, and mm -hmm. so. These buildings are going to be really great. It'll have a vegan restaurant in it. It's going to have an eyelash school in it. It'll have some hair braiders and some boutiques and some maybe an artist or two. It'll maybe have, you know, it's going to have a nail salon. I mean, it, you know, I don't try to like run off the locals of what they or try to predict right. the market occupants should be. I kind of let them be. I try to mix them good, you know, mm -hmm. where they have good synergy. Right. Mixed together. But I try to let it be what it is. And, and that is the beauty of like a Tyler station or a DeSoto marketplace or any of these that got a lot of collaboration uh, spaces in them is that the vibe or the X factor that's created comes from the tenants. You know, it doesn't come from me I mean, or the building or anything. Yeah, it's the, it's the tenants. The combination of how they work together. My job is to figure out how I can put them together where they can influence each other and they can teach each other 
And because I believe people are smart, even in low income areas, I believe they're smart and um, I believe they'll be, they can be more successful. They can teach each other. And it's a self-propelling workforce, entrepreneurial development operation. It's self-propelling, no executive director. Yeah. No, and we may have some training courses or some people come in, you know, we may do some things from time to time and, but um, it doesn't have to have that. They teach each other yeah. and they're, are actually better at teaching each other than they learn in schools because a guy like me, see, I couldn't learn in a school. Yeah. I had to learn at the lemonade stand. You know, I had to just start doing it and then I would see what my mistakes are and I could learn. And then I could figure out that yeah, I need an accountant because I got to do my books, you know, or I need a lawyer. Yeah. Because I'm police. And I, you know, I, I could only learn it by doing. And then I was able to learn a lot. Many of my friends and lower income areas and stuff are really very, we're very similar in that mm -hmm. respect of on the job, you know, on the job learning and training, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's what I love about, you know, what I've seen from all of your developments is that they have that, um, that factor of, of bringing people together in ways that most people wouldn't have really thought to do that, you know, and, and, and that's really what has made what you've done in, in South Dallas really special. Now, is there a favorite project that you have? It's gotta be tough to nail down. Yeah, one, but. yeah there is. I mean, you can't, um, you know, the, the um, special projects of the Texas theater where Oswald was captured after he shot Kennedy, you know, it took us 10 years to get that open once I started working on it in 1999 and we finally got it open in 2009. Now today it's, it's a, it's a theater that's, it's owned by its occupant, the entrepreneurs. It's back on the tax rolls. It started out as a nonprofit. Oh really? It's a profit, profitable single screen movie theater. One of the only few probably in the country. And I don't know if that's my favorite. It's that's one that was special to me at one point because I grew up there as a kid, you know, I grew up there, you know, is going to that theater, but probably the most special project was the Belmont hotel mm -hmm. and um, the development that went around it. We were the first ones in West Dallas when that, when that started happening, we, um, it was huge pain. I mean, there was so much pain in learning to run a hotel after I fired the third management, the third property manager and basically moved in the hotel myself yeah. to, to oversee it and run my real estate business at the same time. Um, we learned, we learned over time, and this is where incremental development really came from. We were doing it before, but we just didn't consciously know it. Mm -hmm. But the Belmont, we were losing, I mean, I was losing tons of money. I was liquidating assets and refinancing my house and refinanced my cars. And, you know, it was terrible pain. I mean, I was down on my knees praying because I thought I was going to go bankrupt. I thought it was just over. And I was looking for a silver bullet fix. I mean, mm -hmm. one big thing I could do, what is like, oh, should we just remodel it more? Can we do this? Can we do that? And what we figured out was that it was a thousand things we had to do, a thousand things. And so we started with, re I wanted to remodel some rooms, upgrade the rooms. And so we started with one room at a time with our maintenance staff and our front desk staff and our cell staff. And we designed it ourselves and we went and bought the furniture ourselves and we we put it together and we looked at that one room and we marveled at our work together of non-professional you know non-professional yeah. working and we just marveled at our work and that room stayed occupied like 90 percent of the time and how did that happen when you have online booking and things and so well we said well let's take the cash flow from this because we couldn't afford to remodel the whole thing and get financing we couldn't right. do that and i didn't want to take on the debt because i already couldn't pay the debt i had Hardly, but every time we, and so we remodeled another room and did the same. And then we did another and it did the same. And so what we figured that we would constantly be incrementally improving this place for the rest of our lives, one room every month forever. And then the hotel would constantly be going through an organic growth of a refreshing of itself, mm -hmm. but never look stagnant. Like it was all done at one time. It would, it would look, normal and real it would look organic it would incrementally fix itself right sure enough it fixed itself and it made we learned how to operate it and we learned 
all the details that we had to do. And in 2015, some people came along from New York and Austin and um, a billionaire trust um, fund um, kid and stuff. And they wanted to buy it and they paid us a whole lot of money for it. And I sold it and bought Tyler station and three shopping centers and some land. <laughs> I took all the money and just reinvested it quickly. But the Belmont, and then the Tyler station though, is probably something right now that is, that is really special is a collaboration village. And I was just there this morning and I took some people on a tour. We're hundred percent lease there today. Wow! And they, they were just, they just said they were moving here from Pennsylvania. And said, we have to be here. How can we, how do we, how do we get in? I mean, how do we, it is so special. It's, it's hard to describe in any words. It's, it's a collaboration of businesses that are just, they just help each other. It's a, it's old fashioned. It's maybe the way we were a hundred years ago when the barn would burn down and the community would come together to build it. it. It has that, you know, it just has that feel to it. It has the, it has the secret sauce in it. Again, yeah. it's not because of me. It's, it's because of the people that are in, in that building. I mean, they make it, they make it special. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Those are, those are really great projects and we'll definitely point some people to find some more information on that so they can kind of get an idea of, of really what you're, what you guys have built there. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so when you're just getting into a neighborhood or, or really your area, your farm, how do you begin to even start to tackle a project there? Is it, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I look at everything, you know, constantly looking for an opportunity first, mm -hmm. constantly looking for like the cheap building, cheap land, whatever, you know, like something somebody doesn't want or mm -hmm. something that they can't see the potential in. So if people are looking at things one dimensional, like retail strip centers only used for retail, then they can't see what I'm talking about. But mm -hmm. if, if they're looking for, um, you know, if they're, so people are not looking for the right, you know, they're not looking for the right thing. And so I'm looking for that opportunity. I have something I can buy cheap and then what can I do with it? And then I look around the net neighborhood and I look at what's missing in the neighborhood. So just stand on the corner simply. I mean, is there a place to get coffee? Is there a place to get your hair cut? Is there a place to get something to eat? You know, is there an attorney around, you know, is what are, what are missing? And so um, um, the opportunities kind of guide me and lead me, you know, the Belmont Hotel came up when it came up and I had to do it because nobody else was going to do it right. When Tyler Station came up, Everybody that looked at it wanted to tear it down and put apartments up, mm -hmm. but the neighborhood didn't want apartments. They didn't want them. Mm -hmm. So, so I had to figure out what to do to make the neighborhood. And so when the neighborhoods around these things, when they adopt you, when they take you in your gold, mm -hmm. because they, they're your marketing, you know, we don't, we don't really market very much. They're your marketing staff right there. I mean, a thousand of them are out there on the streets and they trust me because I've been around a long time and they know our work. So they trust us. So we're able to do things that other people couldn't do, you know, at that point. And that's, it really is a, it, it really is about opportunity first. It's really about, you know, finding that, you know, cause I'm constantly driving streets. I'm, I know the neighbor, I'm, I'm farming mm -hmm. I'm on my tractor. I'm on my tractor. I'm tilling, I'm tilling the, the rows, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden I see, you know, a bug over here. I mean, or I see, you know, I, I think about, you know, something else we could do, or I could, I could do them the other way, or I could, you know, what about these new seeds here? Mm -hmm. What It's the same thing. I'm driving these streets. I'm driving. I see something that's been sitting there forever. Most Tyler station I looked at for five years before I, I bought it. Nobody could figure out what to do with it. And, and I looked at it and looked at it. the Belmont hotel. I ate breakfast in the Belmont Hotel when I was five years old. I used to sneak in the back door at the Texas Theater when I was a kid. You know, I, you know, I used to shoplift up and down the Jefferson Boulevard where the Texas Theater was. I mean, shop, <laughs> shop. right, 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 right. <laughs> so, shopping. 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, but, you know, those are the things, you know, you're kind of like a, you know, I heard um, Andres Dewani say this once sometime from seeing you, we're, we're like cockroaches <laughs> in a way. I mean, we know where all the back alleys are. We know where all the cracks are. You know? We know who the tenants are, who the, the legendary businesses might be. Yeah. We know who the best plumbers are and the best, you know, we know all that because we're not working. We're not trying to be all things in the whole United States and all over. Right. You know, right. To be all things. So we're, we're like, I'm like the old man that lives on a mountain village, you know, that never leaves his village. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So know your farm essentially. Your farm. And then, uh, the, then you'll see deficiencies and, and then you can address them by, by listening to the people. That's right. The farm. Okay. All right. One of the other things, one of the other things that's really important, probably the most important thing is making the money work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do you make the money work? And this is, I get this everywhere where we travel with incremental development all over and I will look at a neighborhood and like the one I'm working in now, so I would call it a $500 neighborhood, right? The one I'm sitting in today in Duncanville, uh, downtown Duncanville is an $800 neighborhood. The neighborhood around the Belmont Hotel is a $1,500 neighborhood. If I go to Highland Park, it's a $5,000 neighborhood. So what you do is you establish what the neighborhood can afford median wise, and then you decide that's how big the spaces can be where I can make so much per square foot. Gotcha. See, I have to make $20 or so a square foot or more to make my deals work. Mm-hmm. So I can only build 300 square feet for this neighborhood. But what we do is we build quality in that 300 square feet because we believe that everybody, no matter what income level they are, or whether they're in a $500 neighborhood or a 5,000 still deserves quality. So in a $500 neighborhood, they get quality 300 square feet. In an $800 neighborhood, they get a quality 600 square feet. Mm-hmm. So that's how you, that's how I, I size, that's how I size the neighborhood. In this way, they don't need subsidies. I've got some projects that have been subsidized, but this generally speaking, I don't like to take grants and tax abatement and things. Um, they uh, really, um, I like to see these things work in the market. I want to be a part of the solution to cities rebuilding themselves without having to give away lots of money to developers and which I'm philosophically against, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I've noticed in several of your talks with the incremental development analysis that you or Alliance that you uh, like to focus on the smaller spaces not necessarily smaller, but the the spaces that actually can be equitable for everyone. So, I mean, it depends on your, like you said, your neighborhood level, but, you know, making that, making that very attainable for those in the neighborhood. And a lot of times uh, those smaller spaces are, are more valuable to them just because they can buy into it um, uh, more so than, and they can't afford something something larger. They uh, get priced out of certain markets. But but you're providing these spaces that are uh, class A for for those that uh, you know wouldn't wouldn't have that option. Maybe they're not class A, but they're class clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clean. they operate good. They have good hardware. They have good air conditioning. You know, they have good good infrastructure. They have the they have the things that make your quality of life as a business person. Mm-hmm. The quality of life of, of our tenants and the people I know is extremely important. Because if yeah. you're not a happy you know tenant or happy camper, you know, you're not going to produce a happy product and you're not going to make money. And so one of the most important things to us is that our tenants and our friends make money. And build wealth and then one day own their own buildings yeah you know, one day they'll buy this building for me somebody will one of these tenants will and they'll That's be awesome. well what do you see as a i mean all this is kind of culminated into kind of this question about what do you see as a successful incremental development in your eyes 
Well, a successful incremental development could be as little as a, a great street market in the right place. You know, it starts with that. Um, a good incremental development, successful incremental development, say that you went out and bought your piece of land in Fayetteville, but it wasn't ready to build on and you didn't have enough money and you're not ready yet. But you 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 put some infrastructure in where a trailer could sell some smoke homes and you had the zoning to do that. Mm -hmm. An incremental development that's successful could easily be you went and bought a house somewhere and moved into it and rented two rooms out to two, two of your buddies. I mean, and you fixed it up pretty cool. Or it could be a little commercial building with two retail occupants in it and two loft apartments in the back. I mean, these are all very attainable things. Let's say that you want to put your business in a little building. You want to become a developer. You're, let's say you're an architect and you want to become a developer. And you 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 buy a little or build a little two thousand square foot building. You occupy eleven hundred square feet for yourself. You can get an SBA loan ten percent down, and you have two rental units in the back. Now you've got a project you can show, and you do it well. You make it look good, and you do it well financially. You do it well too. Mm -hmm. so looking good and is one thing. To have a good financial project is another. You know, so you want them both. Mm -hmm. You need them both. I mean, a good incremental development could be a 16-acre tract that somebody gets and gets maybe owner financing for it. easy terms to buy the land and you start on one little point. You just start on one corner and you build mm -hmm. one, one project on it. And then you build the next one because the power of momentum, the power, we call it the flywheel effect. The flywheel, how it works. So on a flywheel, you, you, you get it going, right? It's just like this. And then the faster it goes and the faster. So if I'm in a flywheel in my neighborhood and I rebuild one little house over here, one snow cone stand here, one street market here, all of a sudden I have the flywheel started. Mm -hmm. I have it started. And how do I get in the flywheel? And if you're, let's say you're a carpenter, you're an architect, you're an engineer, you're a real estate leasing agent, you're a parking lot sweeper, you're a property manager, you're a banker, you're an investor. If you can get in the flywheel, you can get the business that you're doing inside the farm. Mm -hmm. your farm. So let's say you're an architect and you're doing all this work in this farm, in the flat, you're doing all this work and all of a sudden you see an opportunity you can do. And it, there's where you become the developer. Mm -hmm. so you see to just become a developer with no money, like most like me or like Many of the people we, we deal with in incremental development, it's like hard to do, but it's not hard to get into the flywheel and to work the farm. It's not hard to do that. Just don't go work way off over here. So that's, that's how you, you get into the flywheel. So let's say you're a parking lot cleaner. This is the one I like. <laughs> let's say that you have no education. You've been, your whole life you've been in trouble maybe even in prison, maybe drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and you've gotten your life straight. You're now going to a 12-step program and you're doing, you're doing good, and you, but you have no education and no skills. And you, all you do is can pick up trash on the parking lots. So you're picking up trash on these parking lots and you're working for building owners and you're picking up trash and you're picking up trash. And all of a sudden you get a contract with the state to pick up trash on the freeway or whatever. And then you find the little building you need to put your trucks and stuff in. And the little building you need has got two spaces extra you can rent out. And all of a sudden, the parking lot sweeper is now a real estate developer. Mm -hmm. and a developer. Or let's say this. Let's say we always talk about building affordable houses affordably. <laughs> so who is best to do that work? One, two houses at a time. A carpenter. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you and I are out one day and we're driving down the road. We see this house going up. It's beautiful. This little house, it's a cute little cottage. And we get out and we say, where's the developer? We like this so much. Where's the developer of this house? And the guy on the ground says, there he is up in the rafters with his tool belt on. So the carpenter is now the developer. And so the carpenter, see, can work for his wages plus a little bit. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have, have big spreads. And it's a lot easier to teach a carpenter to be a businessman than it is a businessman to be a carpenter. And so I'm a firm believer that tradespeople, you know, and architects, 
and parking lot sweepers and engineers are the best people to develop our communities incrementally. They're the best, they're the best to do that. That's awesome. That business. And why not? Why shouldn't the carpenter have wealth? You know, why shouldn't the architect get a piece of the action instead of just, you know, doing stuff for everybody else always? You know, yeah. why, why shouldn't they have a piece of the deal? Yeah, that's, I was actually about to ask what's the biggest roadblock <laughs> for people getting into development, but I think you addressed it. <laughs> there's, there's really, somebody could be a developer. Um, it, you don't have to be seasoned or, um, you know, have tons of schooling or an MBA, like that's right. know, anybody. Money, money's the biggest problem. Right. Okay, money is okay. So, how do you get money? So, have you ever chased a girl that you like? Sure. Okay. If you chase a girl, if you're, if one of us guys are chasing a girl or chasing a guy, doesn't whatever you prefer. So, you're chasing a girl. Okay. You're pursuing them. You're heavily pursuing them. They they run. <laughs> they run. So you got to be cool, right? You got to step back, <laughs> and you got to be cool. So. What happens is that um, uh, money is the same way. So if you need money really bad and you're going to bankers and begging, you're not gonna look very attractive. But what if, you, what if you took the different approach before you need money, you go around yourself and you interview bankers all over town and you talk to investors, people in your community that are baby boomers that have wealth in the bank. Maybe they just have, maybe have a hundred thousand in the bank or a million in the bank, local, local baby boomers, you know, local investors. And you interview them and they say, well, that was interesting. A guy came to interview me. I'm the president of the bank. There's Matt, he just come over here to interview me. And so you become attractive by doing this. And then now you put your plan together, which is what we teach you to do through Incremental Development Alliance, how to put your plan together where you look good, where you become attractive. So how can I attract the money to me instead of just begging for it? It's a totally different approach. Okay. And it's yet it's easy. Cause if I'm going to the bank begging, what's I'm like nervous, I'm rigging my hands, you know, I'm nervous, I'm sweating, you know, I'm going in, I don't want them to tell me no and hurt my feelings, you know, but if you're doing business the other way, where they're coming to you and saying, you've been in the farm a long time. You've designed some great buildings. You've built some great, great stuff. How do we, how do we help you? Yeah. How do we, you, you did that street. You're the guy that did that street market down there, right? That was so cool. You're the guy that had that snow cone tray. <laughs> so you become the cool guy that's, that looks cool and people will just come to you and for, I mean, I don't, I'm not a, I hate raising money and I have a lot of really good partners. Mm -hmm. So I put my money into the deals too and sign, but I have some really good partners and they like what we do. And, you know, we've, and without my partners and my bankers, you know, and a hundred other people, but, but generally speaking, those are the big ones. I would be nothing, you know, without them. I love the analogies. It's, it makes it so much easier. That's it is. perfect. Yeah. Well, all right. Now I, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I, I want to wrap up with one kind of closing question and, and then we'll give you some time to tell us where we can find out a little bit more about what you're doing. But say I'm, you know, Wikipedia, you guys, Googling you guys in 200 years, uh, what would, what would it say about your legacy Monty and, and options? And the incremental development alliance. That's a lot, but yeah, it would say would say something like this. That and and they're pretty much together because the incremental development alliance was born, you know, out of a lot of it out of my work and, mm -hmm. and others who have done the same work who have now come together. But to start off, it was me mostly, but in the the work and the work. There's some other really good people that started incremental development alliance, but uh, with me, but. It would say something like this, that here's these guys 200 years ago that they, they were capitalists. They were, 
but they were conscious capitalists. You know, they actually cared about us 200 years from now. They actually started wealth building for the middle class and the lower middle class. They figured out how to get people below the zero line up into the middle class. You know, they taught us how to build quality small spaces and shared the wealth and shared the secret handshake you know, across many different generations. And the legacy they left was a strong America, a strong middle class, uh, a class of people that actually own their towns instead of big corporations or the governments or things like that. And that's wow. what they would say. Wow. It sounds like, it sounds like, uh, you know, this all too well. It's, it's, it goes along with your mission. So, yeah. yep. Perfect. It's, it's, it's real. You know, the things that, that we're here, we're not for sure, not perfect, but we're persistent and we're, we're real with our, and we have to, we have to ask ourselves all the time. We're tempted a lot to go off track and, you know, you just have to stay the course. And I tell people this all the time, decide on your mission, decide on your farm, decide on your purpose and the laws of the universe will take care of you. Yeah. Now you still have to work and just lay in bed. Sure enough. You have to get up and go to work. You have to think, you know, you have to, you have to do It's a complex business, you know, and uh, you have to do all those things. Wow. Well, I really appreciate all your time, Bonnie. This was, this was great. There's so many good points. It's going to be hard to pick from when I, when I start uh, kind of bringing this together, but um if you could just give us a little idea of where we can find out more about you, Monty, and then options, and then also incremental development alliance that you're very well in. You can find me at optionsre.com based in Southern Dallas in our company, optionsre.com. Incrementaldevelopment.org is the Incremental Development Alliance, incrementaldevelopment.org. You know, we're working in cities all over the country today. And uh, with Zoom here, you know, we can do a lot. I'll be in Buffalo tomorrow morning, <laughs> Tucson on Friday, you know, wow. South Bend on before that, you know, so, <laughs> um, so we're, we're all over there. And those are the, those were pretty easy to find in, in those places right there. And, you know, pretty open, very open with um, what we do of sharing part of our mission of Incremental Development Alliance is to share the knowledge amongst the practitioners and to share the secret handshake, you know, how you, how you do things. And that's, that's a big part of our philosophy is paying it forward. That's awesome. Well, thank you for all you do, Monty. And thank you again for your time here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Matt. 